Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. This episode is brought to you by our friends at SurveyMonkey. Have questions about your business? Just ask. SurveyMonkey's AI-powered platform answers more than 20 million questions every day, delivering insights that can have a big impact on your marketing decisions. Sign up for free and explore survey templates at surveymonkey.com ask. Hello, everybody. It's Lenny Murphy with another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to spend it with myself and my guest. And it seems like often we have people that I know. Today, we don't have somebody that I know. So this is going to be a great conversation for both of us as I get to know Laura Belonagoff from SurveyMonkey, the Senior Director of Brand Strategy. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for having me, Lenny. It's great to have you here. And there's a whole conversation beforehand about not butchering the last name. I think I was okay. Yeah, no, you, I... you, you did great. It's it's a hard last name uh, for a lot of people to pronounce. And I was probably the last kid to be able to spell my last name in school. So <laughs> worry about it. even I've had difficulties with it. You know, as a, our oldest daughter, we named her Erin. And we did this funky spelling of E-I-R-I-N, uh, this kind of Gaelic thing. And... We learned really quickly of don't make it complicated because it's just really tough in school for the kids and for everybody else. Like, how do you pronounce that? So anyway, <laughs> I get it. Well, welcome. Glad that you're here. And there's a lot for us to cover. So, uh, and since I'm not that familiar with you, obviously familiar with SurveyMonkey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at SurveyMonkey? Sure thing. So... I lead brand strategy and management here at SurveyMonkey, and I oversee our research team, our content strategy team, our content marketing team, organic social, and video. So I basically have my hands in a lot of different uh, functional areas, and then I'm lucky enough to have a really great colleague uh, who I work with very closely who oversees our design for brand. And so between the two of us, we sort of run our, our brand team. So you just, it's a very small job. I mean, you don't. Uh, not, not really. <laughs> um, but the fun part is, is that I get to, do, I, I work with people who have, um, you know, sort of deep expertise and different backgrounds. And I would say like within any given week, I learned something new that I didn't know before, which is always really nice. Most people don't get to have that much like learning be consistently part of their job. So I feel very lucky that I have that. Well, especially it's such a, a dynamic company in a dynamic industry with lots of lots of shifts over the last few years. So how long have you been with the company? I've actually been here for seven years. Okay. Previous to that, I had actually done a very short stint as a contractor and left and then came, kind of came back for large project. And, and then I haven't, I haven't left. Um, my, my roles changed and, and things and the company's changed. We've recently announced that we're returning to our iconic SurveyMonkey brand. And so I am very excited about uh, SurveyMonkey and have been for seven years. And I didn't ever th- I never thought that I would find a place that I would want to stay for as long as I've stayed here. Previous to that, I had moved around in different sort of roles. And so it's cool to find a place that feels like home. 
that keeps things interesting enough that you feel as if like you're still learning. So, yeah, wow, especially for seven years. So you've been there through all of the the exciting the exciting times over the last few years, right? The the growth and yeah, it's uh, all types of good stuff. Cool. And for what it's worth, I have always been a big fan of the company. So uh, I've had the opportunity to work with them off and on in informal ways over the years. And I will share this one little anecdote before we dive in. I remember when you really created the DIY category in the research space for all intents and purposes. And so many folks were not paying attention to that. And when you did one of your raises, I believe, and the valuation came out and everybody, what? This guy, you know, they've got a billion dollar valuation. And like, yeah, because this is a huge part of the industry that we have not been paying attention to. And we better start paying attention to these changes that are happening. And then watching your transformation over the years into to really just as a powerhouse across the board. It's been, uh, been very cool. It's been very cool. So what attracted you to the company? Since it was, you said you're a contractor and now you've been here longer than you ever thought you would be. Yeah. Well, so, you know, when you, when you talk about kind of like that idea of like this DIY research company that's 20 plus years old and may, maybe was like people didn't realize what it was, what, what it was up to and what it was capable of. I think like that idea of democratizing data and like getting it into the hands of more people always appealed to me. But I think I only understood it philosophically when I first joined the company, I'm like, oh, that sounds like something I could align myself to. But once I actually had my hot little hands on that platform and I was able to use it to make like a case for like, oh, here's how you can test a hypothesis. Here's how you can like solve an open issue. Here's how you can perform discovery on creative. Like anyone who's creative who's ever walked into a room to pitch something, you know that half of it is in the pitch. The other half is in how solid the idea is and how much it aligns to the strategy, but it's your audience has to kind of, you know, buy into you and what you're selling. And it is such a game changer when as a creative, you can say, oh, by the way, we concept tested these like five items and our audience loves these two. So these are the ones that we think should go live. And being able to do that yourself as somebody who's just a creative director and then pair it with your pitch, like our platform still brings me joy. I still get a dopamine hit when I see like how quickly <laughs> I can get responses on stuff. And I know it sounds a little bit like, okay, well you work there, of course you would like it. It literally just still boggles my mind sometimes that I can set something up in the evening and the next morning open up like, you know, my outlook and see X amount of responses have come in. And I'm like, which one won? right? Which video test that we just put up there, which concept test just worked? Am I going to find out that my idea that I loved more than anything was in fact terrible and our customers are not interested in it? I can't wait. And so I would say that there is like um, a sort of payoff in the relationship that I don't think I really understood until I was using the platform and working there and finding more ways for, for me to understand how I could get better at my job. So yeah. Yeah, that brings up a good point. The, just to divert from it, I don't think people recognize how robust and qu high quality your audience is, or even that you have your own audience. Yeah, you know, I'm also a political junkie, and you know, watching as as SurveyMonkey has played in the polling arena, and consistently, you are better than just about anybody else. So yeah, our so kudos. Panel, thank you. Yeah, our audience panel is kind of amazing, and it's always it's. I mean, being able to kind of go in and be like, I'd like to talk to 18 to 25 year olds who do this and do that. And, and then please tell me what they think about this. I mean, it's an amazingly powerful tool. 
And you're, you're right. A lot of people, I think, maybe don't always understand how powerful SurveyMonkey is because we've gotten the easy and intuitive message out into the market. And some of that power you only see if you kind of get your hands on a keyboard. So, Yeah, yeah. So audience, the, the days of dismissing you know, SurveyMonkey DIY ended a very long time ago. And I encourage everybody as you're looking for you know, a new potential partner, you're right up there with everybody else. So uh, is a high quality solution. So, which kind of dovetails into, I'm sure, some of the reasons for the brand shift or whatever. But the, you know, hey, it's been. Uh, I, I think you're incredibly blessed and have been so instrumental in, in shifting the industry in so many ways. So, anyway, all right, I'll quit gushing like a, a fanboy because all that's due to you, right? <laughs> so, you know, you're in charge of brand. Who I work with, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about that. So you have launched what appears to be a very successful Ask, Listen, Act campaign uh, in 2022. So what was the key message in the target audience? What kind of brought you? Tell us the story of that campaign, because I, I think it's been you know, really cool. Yeah, no, um, I love talking about this campaign. So back in like 2022, we set out to sort of reinvigorate our SurveyMonkey brand. And in that, we ended up developing this Ask, Listen, Act campaign. Ask, Listen, Act was basically a campaign line and a plain spoken way for us to tell a broader audience about what we could offer them as a brand and platform. Initially, we were kind of using the campaign to reach a broader audience. So a lot of people are like, oh, I know SurveyMonkey from like my college days or like this interaction or that interaction. But it's not necessarily that they are like, oh, yeah, that's a business platform that I interact with on a daily basis. And so we realized that there was a younger audience that maybe didn't know as much about us as uh, we wanted them to. And the marquee sort of asset of that campaign was a video with Giancarlo Esposito, yet another last name that I think is mispronounced a lot. Uh, yeah, I would have said, I was always I, I thought it was Esposito so. too, and, and I, was, I, I confirmed that I was incorrect. Um, so I have to, just like my last name, uh, I think sometimes you need a little, but it's, it's one that you kind of pause and then try to pronounce correctly. Giancarlo is an amazing actor, and we put him in in, a, in a, this sort of marquee video asset where we had a very traditional office and he was kind of going through it with these like cat-like reflexes and throwing things like causing just disruption, right? So pointing to like a diploma and basically saying it doesn't matter where you went to school and then sort of throwing it in the trash and then looking at a, a picture of like, you know, three men <laughs> kind of on a cliff and saying it doesn't matter who your mentors are because at the end of the day, what's not happening is is you listening to people and understanding what they they want. And that sort of message of the status quo needs to be disrupted and like the, the idea is that I, I think for anybody who's been, who's known SurveyMonkey for a while, we were disrupting the status quo already with making a research sort of a DIY, anyone can do it effort. And we wanted sort of a younger audience to understand that that was part of our DNA and where we had sort of come from. So we were, and then there was this extra layer of um, post 2020, we found ourselves in very sort of uncertain times as the cliches go. And so it's, if you're trying to manage your future, you're trying to figure out what's next. The best bet that we have for you is that you need to ask people what they want, listen to their feedback and then take action. We also took that same message to like an array of influencers and it was both influencers in business and in entertainment. And so for the business influencers, 
We sort of focus their conversations on the importance of asking for feedback, just generally knowing what the people wanted. And then in the entertainment areas, we kind of targeted a message more around the importance of just ask. Like if there's something you don't know, you should just be asking. We as a company kind of really value curiosity and we want to we want more people in the world <laughs> to be um, sort of like focusing their curiosity and putting it to work for them. And so the larger sort of campaign had this very simple line, but I think underneath it, there was just a lot of rich sort of veins that we were tapping into of like curiosity is really important to sort of keeping you ahead of the game. You should be asking questions and you need to understand what, what the people who matter most to you want, need and expect from you. Well, uh Speaks right to your DNA, right? Uh, the uh, democratizing information and access to information. That's fantastic. And when you have Gus Fring representing you, right? That's uh, <laughs> that, that adds a little more imprimatur of, well, yeah, I better pay attention. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he, he was great at kind of capturing attention. And, and there was actually one point in uh, where I was supposed to, I was capturing some behind the scenes footage and I got to interview him and I thought, oh, this is really cool. This is one of those career moments that you remember, you know, I, I got to ask him the tough questions. <laughs> okay. So, so you were breaking bad. Uh, um, I, yeah, I, 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 breaking badly, maybe. <laughs> I, was, I was smiling a lot while I was asking him questions. I, I, I really enjoyed his company. He was a very interesting uh, gentleman. And so, yeah, I was, I would say I was breaking badly. Um. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll stop. I could take that in so many different ways, uh, you know, kind of geeky direction. We, <laughs> we, we, we won't go there. But that's really, really neat. Cool. I can't think of another research company in the world that has done a campaign like that. I, I, I don't think anybody has ever done that. So that's pretty amazing. I mean, I think there, there, ha there have been other companies that have, um, like feedback management companies that have done campaigns, but I, that might've been of the same elk of the importance of feedback. But I think that idea of like disrupt the status quo and like you can, you are part of this. Like you, whether you're a single like individual who just wants to make a change, you're part of a team or you're an enterprise, like it doesn't matter. Our platform works for, for multiple different types of variations of groups. It's not just, Hey, you have to have an enterprise account in order to work with us, or you have to be, you know, just like an IC somewhere and there is no like team capability. So I think that ability to stretch across from like whether you're just one person who wants to make a change, a small group of people wants to make a change, or like you want to make an organizational change, we can help you do that. And I think maybe that's a little bit of the secret sauce that we can offer that's different from, I think, what our competitors are doing in the market. Yeah, no, I, I, I would say so. All right, so cool campaign. Now, like all campaigns, how did Duke? Oh, yeah, that's usually what they ask the minute after you say that it went live. Um, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's the attribution? <laughs> How did yeah. deliver results? Uh, I guess is is the the more business like way of describing that. So, <laughs> let me talk about uh, some of the bigger wins. So, when we started this campaign, we didn't really have a TikTok presence to speak of. And so after the first campaign wave, we actually, we, I mentioned we'd work with influencers. We had 8.7 million views on TikTok for our SurveyMonkey hashtag. And so sometimes 
in marketing, there isn't huge wins. There's like a lot of incremental wins where you're like, we nudged up like open rates. We nudged up CTR. We nudged up view through rates and look at how over time this is helping us. And in this case, we basically got to come back to the business and say, we made a 4,250% increase, which was just an amazing little data point to have. And to be part of that success was like a, a career, a career high. We also, besides saying like, hey, we didn't have a presence on TikTok and look at us now, we ran a brand lift study with TikTok and from our very first push with influencers. And we saw a 4.1% increase in brand awareness and a 3.4% improvement in brand association and a 3.2% improvement in brand favorability. So we also knew that, hey, it wasn't just that people were sharing, but we were getting the, the message across and it was resonating with this sort of younger audience that we were trying to, you know, kind of find, find ourselves in their conversations. And since launching that sort of influencer strategy, the hashtag SurveyMonkey has generated 36.1 million views and hashtag SurveyMonkey partner has generated 135.8 million views and counting <laughs> across TikTok. So Oftentimes when you go into a new channel, you don't always get, you know, the sort of the big win. You're like, now we have a footprint. Um, and in this case, we were able to say like, no, we, we, we made a meaningful difference and we reached a new group of people that were important to our business. So it, that was very exciting. We also tried some cool new stuff. So we did have a Reddit presence and we had run ads on Reddit before, but when we were working through sort of the campaign details, Reddit brought us sort of a new placement idea. So we were one of the first tech brands to leverage Reddit's new first view takeover that happened back in September. And that ended up driving over 10 million unique impressions. And the week following, anytime you do something new, there's always a kind of a little bit of, you know, a gamble that you're taking. But the week after following that takeover, our other Reddit campaign saw a 53% higher CTR than before we had done that first view takeover. So we were able to kind of do a dotted line that there was a halo effect that that first view takeover had done. And that was really cool too, because you don't, you're not guaranteed always if you try something new that it'll work out, right? So, and then also demonstrating halo effect is normally quite difficult. And so having that sort of before and after snapshot was really helpful in being able to tell a story of um, value. The other sort of areas or metrics that we uh, had was we also did some channel expansion. So we used the campaign in uh, CTV where we targeted a broad audience and kind of focused our efforts on, on live sports. So NFL, MLB, NBA. And through live sports, we were able to improve our search-free signup uh, CBR by about 41%. So since June 14th, we've been further expanding that footprint by adding in some premium CTV coverage. So Disney Plus, Hulu, HBO Max to continue capturing that audience. But that was one where it was kind of that, you know, we, we did a toe dip of like, hey, can we spend more time in, in the world of CTV and have it, you know, have impact for our business? Yes, we can. Okay, cool. Um, and that's, I've often found that you, you may ask for like a luxury vehicle to drive uh, <laughs> as a marketer and you might get a functional car. And so, Sometimes you just have to show some early winnings to then get sort of the investment to do the second part, right? And, and to sort of raise the confidence of stakeholders that you're moving in the right direction. And then we were lucky enough to actually be recognized by the industry, which isn't like a, you know, sort of a performance marketing metric, but feels really good. 
So we, we won the gold in the category of B2B marketing at the ANA Reggie Awards. And then we also won in the B2B category for this year's awards for marketing that's put on by the drum. And the year's not over. So who knows? We might win one more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of comparable campaigns in our category and and there's just just nothing. I think what's what's really interesting is that so <laughs> let me back up. My default position is that research companies suck at marketing, right? Generally, as a rule. Research companies, you know, we, we may be really great at telling other people how to market effectively. Generally, we are terrible at it. And you're an example. You're, you're the, the exception to that rule of like, wait a minute, let's, let's take some of our medicine here and do this right because we have the tools, right, and uh, deploy it and get measurable business impact. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great story. Yeah, I, I would say, I guess, um, to the point of, people in this industry not being great at marketing, I, I, I would say there's pockets of inspo that sure. I've seen. <laughs> yes, yes, there are. And and, I, and thank you for correcting <laughs> me. There are some companies that I think are really, really great have done, there are a few, they've done great marketing. Yeah, and sometimes they're just like a great campaign where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little green on the edges watching this. I wish, I wish I had done that. And then, yeah, I think you can kind of find inspiration anywhere, right? So, but agreed. I think a general issue with marketing overall is that marketers are often tasked with, hey, you need to keep things fresh and you need to innovate, but also we need to we need metrics ASAP about what have you like what have you done for me this quarter? What have you done for me in H1 and H2? What have you done for me this year? And so like creativity under duress is somewhat difficult. Like you want a little bit of friction to kind of get a sense of urgency. But I think a lot of marketers are just under like a ton of pressure. In fact, we, we did some research. My, my team actually did some research at the start of this year talking about the pressures that marketing was under. And we found out that 79% of marketers said that their team's performance expectations were going to increase this year. So this is at the start of January, we got that data point. So I'm like, okay, so eight out of 10 are sitting in their desk going, okay, the what I'm supposed to do is increased, right? And what we hadn't seen was a lot of like increase in budget <laughs> or, or an increase in some er other areas. And one thing that we sort of, while we were doing this research, we kind of went in with like, we think we know what some of the problems are because we ourselves are marketers, but we don't know. So we have to find out. And our sort of thoughts on where there might be friction. Like we, some of our hypotheses, we found out we were wrong and other ones we found out that um, we found out something new or that like our inklings on things were right. One thing that a lot of marketers talked about was that it was almost a quarter of them. So like 24% said it was difficult to measure the impact of campaigns or decisions. So that means that only 75% are saying it's easy or it's possible <laughs> for them to, to sort of show that like, oh, here's how, here's how we measure things. And I think that if you're in certain parts of a marketing org, it can get even tougher. Like I actually think that brand marketers, and I know that I am one, so this might sound biased, but that we have a really tough time because sometimes we're talking about metrics that are very far away from performance marketing metrics. And some stakeholders, all they want to know is, did they click on it? Did they convert? Did it work? Okay, how much did it cost us to do it? Can we do it faster and better and spend less money, right? I mean, it's <laughs> usually not yeah. that blunt, but that's normally kind of what where the conversation sits. 
And then there's, there's that sort of added pressure where a brand marketer needs to say like, well, for our performance marketing work to do well, we actually have to have a really healthy top of funnel. And it's almost like you're going in and you're asking like, how fast can we run a proverbial track? Like how quickly can we pole vault over things? Like, like how good of an Olympian athlete are you? Because marketing does have like all these different disciplines in it. And as brand marketers, you're oftentimes like trying to pull people back and say, Hey, we got to take our blood pressure. <laughs> we, we need to understand like some basic, basic health metrics of how our brand is doing. And I'm not sure that that's always understood or uh, valued where people will say, sure, sure. Yeah. We need to understand brand health. What's aided and unaided awareness. And if you're lucky enough to have those numbers handy, kind of sort of deliver them, but Usually there's a lot of focus on performance and there isn't focus on the areas that allow for good performance, which is that what is, what is the actual health of your brand and how, how is your audience sort of like moving with you through time? Cause that's the other thing. Things change over time. We're a 20 plus year company. The survey monkey campaigns that were going out in 1999 are nowhere close to what we need to be doing now. Like we have to change and evolve along with our audience. Like, I think that there's agreement usually that that needs to happen, but there's also normally a little bit of friction with, okay, but what are you going to do for me this quarter? (laughs) So we're going to take a quick pause to highlight our podcast partner, SurveyMonkey. Have questions about your target audience, the market, or your competition? 95% of the Fortune 500 and more than 300,000 organizations worldwide rely on SurveyMonkey online surveys and forms to answer their questions. That's more than 20 million questions every day. Leading brands such as Allbirds, Golden State Warriors, and Chime all trust AI-powered insights from the SurveyMonkey platform to make decisions quickly and confidently. It's easy to get started. Explore survey templates and sign up for free at surveymonkey.com ask. So, yeah, I'm just sitting, as you're talking, thinking that, that, that the campaign of ask, listen, act, you've really just kind of described the entire... Uh, <laughs> Uh, thinking <laughs> on why that's important, and you've condensed it down into those three things. Let, let's talk about that a little bit more, though, for folks who maybe didn't connect the dots in the, the thinking that I did. The steps in that protocol, how can marketers apply it to achieve success in their campaigns? Right? So share a little bit of wisdom on what brought you to, no, here are the three key components, and here's what you need to do. Okay, you got it. So the, the stats that I was kind of just sharing, you know, th- those were from a project that was us delving into marketing from PMMs, brand, digital e-commerce folks, even into insights and research professionals. Like we wanted to find out like what was the same and what was different, what sort of struggles they were having. And after kind of listening and looking through that data, we found that the thrash for most of them was that the last few years has just been really tough for a lot of us. And the connections we ended up making was that we're in this sort of uncertain world. And a lot of people were just craving a simple way to make the best right next step. At the same time, we had this ask, listen, act campaign that we were running that was to a general audience. And what we ended up realizing was that marketers needed like a simple protocol to follow. Like, where is my flashlight on this path? I find myself in the evenings, like sort of strolling through these areas that are maybe undiscovered for me, my, my business, my brand. And we found that the ask, listen, act protocol was something that we could like create as a protocol, like we could deepen that message and have it resonate with marketers. So I absolutely agree with sort of that connection that you made of like, 
hey, this, this seems like something a marketer could follow. So the sort of protocol that we developed from it was when you think about ask, oftentimes in most organizations, a marketer will think like, I just need to ask my customers. That's, that's what I need to understand. I need to, or my market, I need to know what they want and then I deliver it. But I would say that it's actually more of a 360 view that people have to take. You have to understand your stakeholders, whoever they are. So if it's your C-suite, your sweet spot customer, your internal stakeholders, your target audience, the new audience that you can't seem to reach quite like effectively yet, you have to understand all of those needs instead of just focusing on one or two groups. Because the human tendency, I think, is to focus on the group that complains the most or that you think is the biggest issue, right? Um, and then there's- The squeaky wheel gets the oil, yeah, right? So- there's like these right. like sleeper areas that sometimes people don't think about. And it's like how you need to make sure that when you ask, you ask everybody in the sphere that you need to be thinking inside of, right? And when I say the other part of ask, there's a part two to it, which not everybody is able to do. But if you can- being able to sort of pressure test your ideas before you build them into programs. Um, I gave that example kind of at the top that like, I didn't get like how great concept testing was until I was able to kind of bring in that data, but being able to tap into sentiment from your target market, whether it's with our platform or another, like any, any, any way that you can do it. Right. If, even if it's, you can just get a focus group of five, like do that. But before you launch, just ensure your reach, like, your products, messaging offers, and programs are solving real problems for the people you're delivering them to. Because if they're not, they're not going to resonate. Or if you have a great product and bad messaging, it's not going to connect for people. They're busy. They're going through their lives. They're scrolling through LinkedIn. You're competing on LinkedIn. You're competing with like maybe their dream job on Facebook or meta channels. You're you know competing with babies and kittens. Like You have to stand out in a way that's meaningful to them where they're like, oh, you're going to help me. Second part is listen. And so you really need to take what you're hearing and dig into what people are telling you. I would say that in most marketing organizations, there's either indexing on what is the business need or what does the customer want instead of figuring out how to do both really well. And in some places, they can just be very CX focused, which is awesome. In a lot more places, you'll get like, as a marketer, you might be create like, what's the customer insight? I've seen briefs filled out that don't have a customer insight other than the business needs this thing. And I'm like, that's not really a customer insight. So it's like, you have to be in this like really deep mode of listening so that you're ingesting information and then threading together the narratives of like, okay, here's what the business needs. Here's what customers need. And then the act comes from actually pulling that through. Like, what is the narrative thread that you can pull through to say like, okay, this is, this is what we should do next. And this is where I think a lot of marketers, like the, their vibe gets gummed up because they'll pull the narrative into slide decks and presentations, but not into the DNA of their decision-making. So what that means is they're like, okay, we heard this and this, so we're going to start doing X and Y. But then you have to activate a team like that one presentation where you get the buy in, you get everybody signed off. It's like everybody on the team has to like align to this is what we're doing right now. And you have people who are from different disciplines looking at problems in different ways. And if they don't have that North Star of like, here is the data that that created the insight that then created this next step that we're all taking together, you'll have middling results, basically. So activating your team. You have to influence those who aren't convinced. That's another part of all of this. And I think you have to be confident in your next step. 
which I, I believe that having data back decision making makes like inherently improves confidence. And you kind of can't be a successful marketer if you're not building consensus for your ideas by providing context with data and showing like, here's what our target market wants, or here's what our customers are saying. And just being able to anchor your decisions in data, I think is the game changer. And it's like that last part where if you don't get it right, it's almost as if all the asking in the listing doesn't matter if you can't get that the right kind of action and activation of your team. Yeah, I I love that. I, I've always saw the marketing life cycle as engage, understand, and activate. It's kind of the three, you know, the the, the pieces and and that the the insights function obviously would fit under kind of the understand component. But I love how you've expanded that out, right? To create that connective tissue from a framework standpoint of, you know, it's not just that understand has lots of different components, asking and listening, right? Uh, and there's lots of data sources that exist to do that. It's not always a survey or a focus group, right? But the essence is in that activation component. Um, we don't ask and listen just so we can check the, off a box. Yeah, the, I think the worst thing you can do is ask people their opinion and then show no interest in using that as another data point. <laughs> like it's, if you do it to your team, it's demoralizing. If you do it to your customers, like how could we improve our experience? And obviously anytime you do feedback, you're gonna sometimes, you know, you'll have a somebody on your team who's like, you know what I think would be great? A four day work week. I'm like, me too, not happening, right? right. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Like, but yeah. feedback is not actionable at this time, but you can dig into those things and say, what is it about a four day work week? And then end up finding out like, oh, it's actually like a flexibility thing that you, you in fact are most interested in. And I'd say like, you know, that's like a tiny example, but those same mechanisms are at play in your customer feedback. So they might complain and ask for something that, your business isn't ready to provide yet, but it doesn't mean that the step to get them closer to something that they want isn't available to you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, there's a concept I've been playing with a lot uh, recently since the advent of AI. Okay, we, we've gone all all interview without saying it. Now we've said it. Okay, from the standpoint of you know, kind of always envisioned this idea of the the always on data machine at the enterprise level, right? And with all these different feeds, and, and that was the promise of big data. Uh, all that good stuff, but we lacked a mechanism to make that easy. I think generative AI has unlocked that capability now to to get there. And my hope is that brands are are looking at that now and recognizing, okay, it is not that we don't have the right information, or even that we don't know the right questions to ask. We need a culture that acts on the information that we have, and that is the ROI on the, these investments in information. Is that a, something that you guys are, are looking at as well of how does, uh, how does SurveyMonkey fit into that paradigm of the always on data machine? Is it something that, are there synergies being unlocked with your parent company, with Symphony? You know, kind of looking at those ideas. What do you think? So there's a bunch of questions in those questions. So Th there are, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna, that's, that's a nice little data cake that you laid out for me. I'm gonna take a, a, one slice at a time. So when it comes to AI, we have AI already imbued in our product, right? Like I, I would say one of the places where it's it, there's that sort of delight that a computer has done synthesis that you don't have to do as a human is sentiment analysis. So, you know, if you ask an open-ended question, instead of reading, you know, 500 responses and then tagging them and doing it, like you can, our software platform will look at them and say like, these are positive, negative, and neutral. <laughs> I'm like, okay. 
sweet. It's mostly positive. Now let's dig into it. Um, or more likely ask somebody on my team to help me. <laughs> but so we absolutely, we have AI in our product. And I think the AI, like you kind of hinted at this, like where we are with AI right now is that it is oftentimes really good at synthesizing large amounts of data. I think helping with the sort of blank page problem of I'm not sure where to start or am I missing something. And I think of it sometimes as like the work you give to an intern. Like I need you to pay attention and do a good job, but I don't trust that everything you do is going to be perfect <laughs> and I'm going to double I'm going to double check it, right? Is I think at least in the realm of chat GPT. However, when you take AI and then you marry it with one other thing, which in my opinion is a human, another human element, that's where the unlocks are happening now. Like within our product, it's kind of like, okay, well, we have this sort of, we have survey expertise and methodology like inside of our platform. And then we pair that with AI and that's where the unlock happens. That's why like you can start typing and then we'll tell you, here's actually the question and the way to ask it. So they ask the right question. Here's the answer options. This is the right kind of scale you should be using, right? Like all, all of these things so that you as a you know brand marketer or a PMM don't need to know the exact like components of a Likert scale, right? Like it, it'll just spit it out for you. So there's sort of that, that part of like where we are in the genesis of AI of like, because the internet, if you think about it, the internet at one point wasn't entirely useful to us. And then it, it's become more useful as humans ended up adding to it. Right. And then it's kind of gotten a little noisy now and you have to, you know, sort of be discerning on where you get your information. But there was a point where you couldn't find stuff online. And I think there's points now with AI that aren't quite there yet. But if we add in sort of that human element that, that there is an unlock available to us and that we can get them to do work that human beings, like, frankly, aren't good at. We're not good at paying attention to things that are similar and finding differences for hours at a time. Our facilities get exhausted, right? Like your, your brain gets tired. A computer, though, is just like, oh, yeah, well, let me just keep filtering through these things. And let, let me tell you, let me tell you, like, you know, the, the patterns that are emerging. So we have kind of where we are with AI I think that it's really exciting where we're going to be going with it. And then my team currently is actually doing a bunch of research into how AI is affecting marketers, CX professionals, and others. We have some speaking engagements coming up uh, later, later this quarter where we'll be sharing those, um, those insights kind of all together. But it's interesting how AI is impacting. Like, again, it's like that same research that we did at the start of the year. Some of our hypotheses were proven wrong and given some some interesting alternatives for how things are being used. But I would say in general, right now, from like just top line, <laughs> what I can share from the research, enterprise companies have an advantage in how much training they're giving to people on AI. So if you're in a smaller, mid-sized company, you need to figure out how to make sure that you don't get left behind. Like I would say the lowest, the lowest rung that you need to get into is like, how do you ensure that rote things that you would give to an intern, but then double check are being done by AI instead of by a person? You, like that, that's the multiplier. That's the thing that's going to make you move faster. I'm, I'm trying to see if I covered all of the areas that you, that you sort of, <laughs> I feel like you opened up a box and it was called AI and it reminded me a little bit of a Pandora's box where I'm like, okay, <laughs> of, of, how, of how many items were sort of in there. Not that it was all um, sad things coming out. It's, it was just a lot <laughs> that sort of flies out from, from the, the AI conversation because 
I think we're still trying to figure out what it means to live in a, in a world that we can, like we have sort of this new capability that we didn't have before. And I don't know, like, I think this is one of those times where there's going to be a generational shift of like the kids, there's people walking around who never had a phone in their pocket growing up. Right. And now, now the phones that we have are more complicated than what took people to the moon in the sixties. Right. So it's, it's like this, this AI thing, we're just at the beginning of it in some ways. And I think it's just now moving into like, even though a lot of people have been doing AI research for decades, it's just now moving into that like popular culture and, and how is it going to manifest? Like, like some of it is wait and see. And some of it is like, let's find out what, what's happening that we might not understand, which my team is working on. So it's super cool. It's very cool. No, you did a good job of unpacking my quadruple barreled question. The, uh, <laughs> I want to be conscientious of your time as well as the, uh, of our audience. So you set the bar really high with the, the work that you've done in this campaign with all of the success of, of serving monkey. So what's next? What's on the horizon? Well, in an effort to sort of drink my own champagne, I would say we're going to continue to uh, ask, listen, and act on what we're hearing. Again, we are working on some of that AI research and how it's affecting CX pros and marketers and others. So we're very excited for not just being like, just, you know, being a part of that conversation and then also seeing like how it plays out. And I would say that we are just also deepening the Ask, Listen, Act campaign as we roll it out to specific audiences or take it lower in the funnel. And it seems to be a very rich creative vein where just like a great uh, jazz band, we have we have a riff and then we're hearing we're hearing sort of, you know, new versions of it getting played by different people. And like working with influencers has just been amazing to kind of have another sort of creative influence coming in to say like, here, here's another thing you should just ask about. So that's it. very cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, if you, if you work with, uh, with Mr. Mr. Fring again, let him know that he's got a fan in Kentucky. Okay. So I, I will let him uh, know Lenny. Thank you so yes. much for having me today. This was really, really pleasant and I really enjoyed our time together. I don't think anybody has ever said pleasant has ever <laughs> said, thank you. That's a first, you know, uh, they may say fun or, or even other terms that I don't like so much, but, um, but pleasant. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that, Laura. <laughs> How can people reach you? Oh, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. The last name is not common, so it's a little pretty easy to find. And I would say that's, that's the easiest way to find me. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Quick uh, shout out to our producer, uh, Natalie. She's always lurking in the background. Uh, thanks for for uh, doing that to our editor, James. Oh, and to our sponsor. Thank you, SurveyMonkey, for sponsoring the uh, the podcast as well. Uh, for our audience, that's not that's not why Laura's talking, um, but it is some, occasionally we get things just kind of coincide, and this is one of those times, so that's great. And uh, mostly, uh, thank you to our listeners, because without you, Laura and I would have had a great chat, but hopefully this was actually impactful and people could... Uh, take some key takeaways that help them in their lives as well, which makes everything more worthwhile. So that's it for now. We'll see you on the next edition of the Green Book Podcast. Bye-bye.
Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.